Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff Spirky Abashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. The Perkyavis Podcast is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network, where we actively encourage Jews to think and engage in the search of how to be intentionally Jewish. Check us out on intentionaljew.com. So today's Mishnah is a, in, it's in, in my, my Mishnah, it was part of the same Mishnah. It's still the Hu Omer. It was said by the, by the same person, by Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. And we're going to have to understand wh- whether we learn it as a separate idea or together, what exactly is the connection between what we've learned and, um, and this Mishnah also. Okay, let's take a look at the Mishnah. The Mishnah says as follows. The Mishnah says, and again, it should be up on, the, on everybody's chat, Hu Haya Omer, he used to say, Kol Shechachmaso, Meruba Meimasov. Anybody whose chachma is greater than his masim, than his actions, so then, lemahu um, dome. To what can he be compared? He can be compared to leilon, to a tree, shanof of merubim v'sharoshav muatim, whose leaves are many, branches and leaves are many. But Visharashov, but its roots are limited. The Ba, the wind will come, the Okarto Vaufachto Alpanov. The wind can come and turn it on its uh, on its uh, on its face and uproot it from the ground. Shenamar, as we have learned, and he brings a Pasuk. And the Pasuk says, So as we learn in the Pasuk, that it will, it's like a bush in the desert, which doesn't sense the coming of the good. It's set in the scorched places of the wilderness in a barren land without inhabitants. It gives the impression of a, of a tree that's dry and that's sitting alone and that is easy to be uprooted. Aval, says the Mishnah, anybody whose actions are greater than their wisdom, to what can it be compared? To a tree that has little branches and leaves, but has very, very deep roots. That even if all the winds of the world come and, and rage through this tree, it's not going to move it from its place. As it says, and now he brings a verse from that it is like a tree that is planted by water, the al yuval yeshalach shiroshav v'loyira ki yavaychaim. It's not going to worry if it's hot out or anything, or the winds come voya leura non, and it's 
um, it, its shade is beautiful, and in a year of um, drought, it doesn't have to worry, it's never going to stop giving fruit. Very, very beautiful Mishnah. What's the message of the Mishnah? The simple message of the Mishnah is, is that a person has to have not only knowledge, but the knowledge has to turn into action, similar to what we had said previously yesterday, and that it can't just be about knowledge, it has to turn into masa, it has to turn into, um, into deeds. Now, the only problem with that is, is that we've learned this concept already, that we've learned this concept that anybody whose um, wisdom is greater than it's going to last and whose deeds, we had, we had this idea. So what in the world is he teaching me that's new? What is the Mishnah teaching me that I didn't already know, that we didn't already learn in Pirkei Avos? That's problem number one. Probably in Mishnah Tess, we already had this idea. Problem number two is that some say that the reason why he brought this was he brought this here as an analogy to that which was, to that which was taught to us in Mishnah, in Mishnah 9, in Mishnah Tess. And that, um, that, that Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, who said, And then the second half of the Mishnah, which is, Anybody whose actions are greater than his Chachma, his Chachma is going to endure. And this is just a mushal, it's just an analogy to that. Okay, if, if that's an analogy, then why is it over here? Why is it eight Mishnayas later in something that seemingly has nothing to do with, with, with anything? Why are we sticking it here? If you wanted to make a mushal to that, then it should have been in that place. And even if it's a mushal, what, you have to add something in a mushal. You can't just give a mushal if it's not going to widen your understanding of it. So how does this widen our understanding? Okay, my next problem is that if you look at the analogy that we talk about branches and roots, if I were to tell you, don't look at the Mishnah, tell me what you think. What are the branches and what are the roots? So you would tell me that the branches is your actions. The roots is your chachma, is your, your wisdom and your understanding. But that's not the analogy. The analogy is, is that the chachma is the branches and the mass and the actions are the roots. I would have thought the exact opposite. What does that analogy teach me? Then I have another problem. If you look carefully at this Mishnah, so then the Psukim introduce more elements. It doesn't just talk about trees and roots and branches, but it talks about water and dry desert. It talks about leaves and fruit. What, what, what do those add to the metaphor? What do those add to the analogy to this, to this teaching? We're talking about leaves and we're to, branches and we're talking about roots. Why are you throwing in all this extra stuff with water? It's a shoslal palgimayim, unroiv mayim. It's sitting there and it's growing by, by water. Who cares? It's dry and parched. Who cares? We're talking about winds blowing. We're talking about trees being uprooted with roots, without roots. That's what we're talking about. What's the message of the Mishnah? So let's talk for a brief moment 
about Nasa Vinishma. That we know that Nasa Vinishma, we've spoken about it before in beautiful ways, that it wasn't just a, a great statement that the Jews made. It wasn't just something that was iconic, that we said Nasa Vinishma, and that's the way we accepted the Torah. It was much, much deeper than that. We explained, if you remember, that Nasa Vinishma means that Nasa, I will do Vinishma, and it will be heard from me, meaning that it will identify me. It's going to become a part of me. But I think that it's even deeper than that. Because I think what Nasa Vinishma is telling us is that it's a method for, for, it's a method of living for a Jew. And that everything we do has to be informed by Nasa Vinishma. Because what that means is, is that our lives have to begin with Nasa. Our lives have to begin with doing. Our whole concept of chinuch, of the way that we raise our children, is that we raise our children based on this concept. We teach a young child how to make brachos. We don't, and we tell the child they're saying thank you to Hashem, but we don't give them all the in-depths of, of brachos, of what they're doing, of how they're connecting us to, to God, of, of how, they're, of how they're, they're, they're really bringing bracha and shefa bracha into this world. You know, the concept of a bracha is that I'm opening a pipeline. And I'm opening a pipeline for God to be able to send his blessing down into this world. That's why we say that a person who eats a food without making a bracha, it's as if he stole from God. How'd you steal from God? God gave you the, the earth. He said that the earth belongs to you. How are you stealing from God? We know that there is a, a, a thing called reforestation, that when you take something out of the forest, you got to replant it. Well, making a bracha is reforestation. Because when I make a bracha, what I'm doing is I am taking a fruit out of the world, I'm making a bracha on it, and by making a bracha, I'm opening a pipeline for God to be able to place more fruit into this world. And therefore, in essence, what I'm doing is replenishing the forest. I'm replenishing the, the supply of fruit by making a bracha on it. And therefore, if I just take a fruit out of the world and I don't do something in order to be able to create its rejuvenation in this world, then in essence, what I'm doing is I'm stealing from God. I'm stealing from his world. We don't teach all of that to a child. What we teach to a child is this is the way you make a bracha. A child picks up a piece of food. We don't say to a child, you know, we don't go, go to a, the whole hack and a whole long discussion. We say to a child, did you make a bracha? And then we, when, when we say the bracha, the child can't say a bracha yet. The child repeats it after you, ba. And you say the ba, they go, ruch, ah, ta. Remember, there's a guy who used to come to me, Hashem Shabbos, who joked that my kids were going to be 21, and that's what the way they were going to make brachas. Uch, ah, oh, 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 oh. Right? They, because they, they were making brachas just by listening to us and by filling in the blanks of each word. But that's the way we train a child. We train a child based on hergel, based on rote, based on getting used to behaving in a certain way. You want to create an adult that's about snaka, so then teach a child as a child to always share and to give and to put money in a pushka. By putting every day, and that's why, you know, preschools, smart preschools do that. Child has to bring in a, a, a little coin every day and put it in the pushka. It's part of their training. They have no idea what they're doing, but it becomes an action that they are more go in. It becomes an actual action that they become used to. It becomes rote. It becomes part of their behavior. With something becomes part of your behavior, so then it stays with you. We learned yesterday, Adam Nifakfi Pulase, that a person is shaped according to the way that they act. 
you want to create a benevolent child, you teach it benevolence by doing benevolence, by, by letting it, if you're doing a chesed for somebody, letting a child get involved. Avram Avinu understood that his children needed to be involved. The Yishmael needed to be involved when they, when they came, when the angels came and the guests, he was taking care of guests. He got his, he got his whole family involved. He got everybody that was around involved because that's the way to teach it. It has to be through involvement. It has to be through action. And by doing actions, so then we make ourselves ready for what's going to happen because we get used to good habits. You know, even for, for a child, we give a child a, a lulav and an esog. So I know that there are plenty of people that, that say that, you know, for a young child, really halacha says when a young child knows how to shake and knows to whom he's shaking, so then he gets a, a lulav and esog, which is sometimes not until 10 or 11 perhaps even 12. It's a, it's a pretty late stage. But what many people will do under the age of bar mitzvah is give a non-kosher lulav and esrog to a child. Bad move. Because we can be margled them. We can get them used to also bad habits. You know, when you take a young child and you let them turn the lights on and off on Shabbos. I remember there was an advertisement for uh, a new kind of light bulb that was go- it was like a grumble bulb. You would shut the shut the light, but it wouldn't shut off. And it was a cause, it was a bunch of causation things, and then eventually it would shut it off. Whatever, there was a, it was making a big splash. But one of the things they did in their advertisement is to show why you needed this light in your house was the guy was holding a, a young child and he was saying to the child, Oh, you the lights are on, and the child laughs and he brings it over to the to the uh, switch and you know, hoping the kids can play with so it. The kid grabs the switch and starts flicking it up and down and up and down, and then he stops and he leaves the light on again. And, and you know, it's it's like as if it was normal to ask a child to to switch on and switch off lights. Not a good idea because it's being margled them, it's getting them used to bad behavior. Practice makes perfect, and it makes it as part of our nature, as part of who we are. It works letayv, and it works also lera. That we know the first time a person does an avera, it bothers them. It makes them crazy. The second time a person does an avera, says the Gemara, nasa it becomes permissible. Because when you get used to something, the first time that it happens, it can turn your life upside down. A person never ate treif in their life. The first time they come to eat treif, it, 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 could, it, it could totally, it totally set, them, set them apart. A person gets sick. A person can you know, get nervous, look around. Who's seeing me? Oy vey, oy vey. They go out behind the, the restaurant and they throw up because they just had basa b'chalav. And then the second time, it's nasa le'kehater. The, the rabbis quip that the third time is Nasale Kemitzvah, that it becomes like, this is the path, this is who I am, this is my identity, I do these things. But that's what happens, that we become murgal, we become used to things and used to behavior. You know, there's a concept called cognitive, cognitive dissonance, that we act in a way that contradicts the way that we believe. And when that happens, it creates a tremendous tension inside of us, an internal tension. And it leads us to act in a way to reduce that tension. So what happens? So it's much easier to change our belief system than it is to change our actions. Changing actions is complicated, it's difficult. Changing our belief system is much easier. So what do we do? We shape our beliefs to conform to our actions and therefore, thereby we eliminate the cognitive dissonance. So very often what we do is that we take, the, we, we take what we are um, what we're believing in, and we, we, we try to adjust our actions 
in order to be able to, in order to be able, we change what we believe in, excuse me, in order to be able to, to stay with and be consistent with the actions that we have that have become habitual to us, that have become part of our lives. And that's why when we train a child, we try to make sure that there are certain things that get locked in. And when they get locked in, so then we're, we're sure that they're, we're, we're never sure, but we have a better chance that they're never going to change. You know, there's this concept called Bechira points, that there are certain things, we have a battle in, in moral dilemmas. We have a battle all the time in moral things, right? Should I do this? Should I not do this? We try to train a child that the maximum number of characteristics of Midos Tovos are under the line, meaning that they're Pashat. They are part of what is a child is used to, what they are Murgal in, what they are, what they are habituated in, so that the battle doesn't take place there. You know, we try to teach a child honesty and what it really means to be honest so that a child doesn't have base decisions about whether to, to take something off of the desk of another student. Their battle with Geneva or Gezela, the battle with taking things that don't belong to them, will be on a much more sophisticated level. And we try to build that Bechira point. The place where our Bechira takes place, where our choice, where our dilemma takes place, we try to make that as high as possible. And the years that we accomplish that in, into its greatest extent is when a, when a child is young. When we make things Pashat, that it's just Pashat, we don't lie, it's Pashat. It's obvious that we tell the truth. And it's, and it's not something that, it's not something that's, that's Yotzim in a klal. it's not something that's, that, 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 that's, that's special. This is our normal behavior. This is what we do. We tried to do that with our children, raising our children in an area where there weren't a lot of, especially when, when our children were young, there weren't a lot of Shomer Shabbos, there weren't a lot of people that were, um, that were keeping Shabbos. We raised them in an atmosphere that this was just Pashat. It wasn't, we, we didn't put anybody else down, and it wasn't that we were magnificent because we did it. It was just Pashat that this is what a Yid does. And amazingly, it was, it was something, Baruch Hashem, that, that took in our children, that it was just, this is, this is what it was. And it became Murgal. It became something that was that that they were Rogulin, something that they were that they were used to. It was habitual, and it became a part of them. So then, what happens if it's just doing it because of habit? What happens when you hit nineteen, twenty, and somebody somebody questions you and says, "Why are you making a bracha?" and you can't answer because you were never really explained that because all you were taught was how to make a bracha. All you were taught was how to put on your tefillin and how to keep Shabbos, but your blanks weren't necessarily filled in. I once had this experience. I was nineteen years old, nineteen or twenty, and I was asked to run an NCSY seminar um, in Israel. And I was a little bit older than that, but, uh, but I was asked to run a, uh, a seminar in Israel, I think it was 2022. 20, and I had to, uh, we had to teach every day. So we met, the, the advisors met, and we decided that we were going to do, over the summer, we were going to do, um, we were going to learn about God. We we're going to make a whole, um, you know, a whole workbook about God, an old source book, and we we're going to teach every day another little piece of God. So great. So everybody got a little thing they had to do. So I went home and I decided, you know, to, to start on my outline. So I write down Roman numeral number one, and I write the word God. And then I write letter A. I have nothing to write. What do you say about God? I mean, God's God, you know, he's God. What, what do you teach about God? And I'm trying every angle. 
It's not working. So I go back to the group and I say, you know what? I think God is going to be too lofty a thing to teach. This kid's not really religious. I think it's going to be too big. Let's pick something else. So thing, thing, thing. We said, okay, let's teach him about Shabbos. Oh, Shabbos, Gvaldik. I know Shabbos. I've been doing that for 22 years. No problem. I sit down. I write Roman numeral number one, Shabbos. Letter A, I'm, I'm dead in the water. I have no idea. And I'm, and I'm thinking and I'm angling and I'm, I went back to them and said, I think that's a bad idea. Well, nothing, nothing was any better. And I realized that I had never thought these things out for myself. And it was a tremendous wake-up call for me, the necessary wake-up call, that I now had to justify and explain to myself the things that I was doing. Now, can you imagine if I was brought up with none of that? No actions, no rote, no hergel. And at the age of 22, I decided, hmm, I think I'd, I'd like to start keeping mitzvahs. Yeah, the chance of that is pretty slim. And that's, you know, that, that, that's the whole Baltrum movement. But that's, it's, those are giants of people. Because to do that after your murgal, after you are, you are habituated to a certain lifestyle, to change that, that requires an incredible amount of strength, an incredible amount of power. Imagine if we brought a child up the way Moshe was going to bring up his children until he got a direct message from God, like Yisro. Yisro asked Moshe to raise his children without any religion and let them come to it on their own. Can you imagine if we raised our children that way? That at 13, we turn to our children who have been hefker until 13, have not been trained, have not been demanded or expected to keep any mitzvahs, and we turn to them and we say, hey, tomorrow is your bar mitzvah, mazel tov. I brought you 613 presents. And the kid's like, wow, wow, 613 computers, 613 games? And you say to the child, no, no, 613 mitzvahs. We're going to love doing our mitzvah. You can you imagine, you can just play out the scenario of the, kind of, of the kind of disaster it's going to be. That's why we train a child this way, to be morgal. We train a child to be habituated in this kind of lifestyle. The danger is that it becomes mitzvah nashim ilumada, that it becomes just rote. And that's why at some point we start putting chachma into a child. And when we put chachma and wisdom into a child who's already been taught to behave in a certain way, then that wisdom goes to inform and to explain and to understand and to accentuate what they know as the truth of their lives, what they live as the truth of their lives. Now the lights go on, the penny drops, and they say, ah, now I understand what I'm doing. That's exactly what Rabbi Lazar ben Zayi is teaching us. What Rabbi Lazar ben Zayi is teaching us is, is that what is the way that we're meant to live? That if a person, if his learning and his understanding and all of, and all of those things, if they are miruba, if that comes first, Meaning, I'll do it when I understand it. And until I understand it, and if, until I have the capacity to be able to rationalize it, then I'm not going to do it. Then you've already become morgal in a lifestyle. You've already become habituated in a lifestyle that's not based on Torah. Then forget about it. 
it's going to be very difficult to be able to turn us around. And the roots, our actions, which only come after our Chachma, they are very, very sparse. And all you need is another ideology to come along. You need a little bit of wind. To, to, it's going to push you over. It's going to topple you. However, if your mass of merubin, if your mass of come first, and your actions, and your rote, and your practice, and your things, without even understanding, but we do it because this is what we're expected to do. And then later comes the chachma, then later comes the understanding. We're brought up first with the values, and we start, we start ourselves first on the values, and then we, we add all of the understanding, and we add all the explanation, but we start with the actions. So then, that's deep roots. But the Mishnah comes along and throws water into it. Because water is Yira Shamayim, is the fear of heaven. It's the thing that gives us our nourishment. The leaves and the fruit, those are the byproducts. And Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah is presenting to us in an in a, um, allegorical kind of way the way to turn the first part of the Mishnah into something practical. That you've got to start off first. In order to make things like we learned yesterday, to get to the heart of things and not just to live superficially, the first thing you have to do is you have to act in a certain way. Then you fill that with understanding that has to be by the brooks of water, that has to be by Yerushamayim, it has to be infused with godliness. And then what are you going to see? You're going to see incredible peros. Your life is going to be an incredibly fruitful and productive Jewish life. And that's what Rabbi Elizabeth ben Azariah is presenting to us. He's presenting to us not just the idea, but the method. This is the way you have to build your structure. And it applies not only to raising children, and it applies not only to us many years ago as we were children, it applies to every single day. Because very often what we do is we say, when I understand it, I'll do it. And if I don't understand it, then I'm not going to do it. And Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah is saying, don't do that. Do what you have to do. And then fill it with knowledge. Then you'll understand it. And when you do it in that order and you infuse it with Yerashamayim, with fear of heaven, with godliness, then that is going to produce incredibly beautiful peros, incredibly beautiful fruit. Okay, beautiful. We'll stop there.